you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick, Portfolio Manager with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth, and Colin White, Portfolio Manager with the Varican Capital Management, Inc. Bare Naked Money here, coming at you, Colin and I having a casual conversation, as we call it today. Now we're naked having this casual conversation, so it may not be that casual for a lot of folks, but it's casual for us. The ultimate in casual. Now today, we're talking about the smart people whose job it is to make you fail. And Colin, I don't know if you stuck to the plot here, Colin, because you went down a chat GPT wormhole, rabbit hole, that is what you're saying to me anyway. And so I'm really curious to see where you ended up. Well, I mean, you motivated me, Josh, is I think you used chat GPT for this as well, but you may have used it on other occasions. So like you weren't like a complete rookie. Like I kind of panicked, like I thought we we're just about ready to record. I said, well, shit, I got to catch up with Josh. So I went on and set up my chat GPT account. And let me just say, it was interesting. So I, I'll just, the first chapter of my journey was that I kind of paraphrased what Josh just let you in on what our, our our title was today, but as is my way, I was a little more direct with it. So I went into ChatGPT, went through the setting up and accepting everything, and then I said, "How do smart people take money from dumb people?" And <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, are you see, well, are you hold on? You're already implying that everybody who gets taken advantage of by the so-called smart people are, are stupid. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. It was, it was like, you know, one of the hyperbole and exaggeration to make a point. I wanted to go as far to the extreme as I could yeah, because that's where you tend to find the entertainment, right? So I said, okay, well, let's, let's ask it a question that I think is, and what we're afraid of, honestly, this is what we're afraid of that AI is going to be good at, right? So I just said, let's go right into the mouth of the monster. It immediately uh, renamed my chat to ethical financial practices and began to lecture me on why people shouldn't be this way. So <laughs> um, as an AI developer, I, open it, I must emphasize that taking advantage of exploiting others is unethical and not something that should be encouraged or promoted. And it went on for three or more, four more paragraphs and told me that I wasn't going to answer my question. But, okay, but this is interesting because you know why it says that, right? I know <laughs> because there's people out there that might not be as naked as you and I that are actually using this to take advantage of these people. Well, like, like I say, I have to do a course of money laundering every year. They're actually training me how to launder money once a year. I get an update on my course. So you're right. Whenever you ask these questions, it doesn't know your motivation and the information can be used for the forces of good or evil. So my education began right out of the gate, but also this is the edge of the topic that we're having here, Josh. I mean, we're, we're talking about things that like it's one half step away from being something that shouldn't be talked about at all. Yeah. And that's why we are talking about it because we think it's worth talking about. We think it's educational for people to identify some of these potential blind spots or biases that they have that others are seeking to take advantage of. So you tell me, Colin, what did you land on first? with how smart people are taking advantage of dumb people. Well, and yes, our motivation is pure, as those who listen to our podcast well can probably attest or hopefully would attest to. So I, I changed my question a little bit, and I said, how can you protect yourself? Like I, I went the other way with it a little bit. And I came up with the normal things of educate yourself, research, 
question marketing tactics, uh, guard personal information, seek unbiased advice. It was a whole bunch of platitudes that are that are fairly obvious or relatively obvious, but extraordinarily hard to execute on. Uh, but that's where it took me next. Well, where, where did your journey take you, Josh? Like, like I'm not going to give up my whole journey at the start of this because you have stuff too. Yeah, well, I started more so from the specific topics or areas where I think people are actually, I, I'm trying to think of what the right term is because exploited might be a little bit aggressive, but taking advantage of might be a little bit too tame. So I don't know, it's somewhere between taking advantage of and exploited, I think. Well, encouraged to have a suboptimal outcome. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful because that, that's exactly what it is. It's like it might not be catastrophic for you. Like we're not talking about Bernie Madoff type stuff here where your li- money is literally getting stolen, but it's not not in your best interest, perhaps. Yeah. And and I, I think the, you know, the credit card world is one that springs to mind as as a fairly blatant example. Nice, comfortable yep. payments literally for the rest of your natural life. And you could have all of the things you want today. Now is that evil or is that just letting people lead a wonderful life and fulfilling all of their fantasies? I think it's evil, but you know, that's just my, my perspective on things. So, you know, the not in your long-term best interest from a financial perspective, I guess is, is more where we're falling, where we're trying to encourage people to behave in a way that's in your long-term best financial interest. So to be more specific, yeah, but yeah, that, that's kind of the road I think we're going down. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned credit cards first because that's was literally first on my list as well. And it's not that I think credit cards are bad. I have a credit card. I use credit cards for basically every purchase that I can possibly use it for. But some of the practices surrounding the use of credit cards and the the credit limits and the minimum payments, this stuff is potentially very damaging for somebody. And if you get in the spiral of not being able to to make your credit card payments, it's it's a death spiral generally. And you're not going to die, but you might die financially. Well, it's it, long term. It's going to lead to worse financial outcomes for yourself. But you know, there's you know, on the face, a credit card gives you money you don't have, and lets you spend it. And people go, "Oh, I get, I have money now." No, you don't. You have money that you have to pay back at some point. But that's what people get excited about, and that's for like, taking advantage of. You know, it's 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 pandering to the base human need of immediacy and keeping up with the Joneses. So, pure evil. Hmm. Some would say so, but I think that that's a difficult argument to make. But does it take advantage of a negative tendency that people have? Yeah, I think that's probably a more reasoned and middle of the road approach to to take with it. But it's that's not the only aspect of credit cards that is manipulative, because you get into the credit cards that have points. The I like gamification. Points. I know you do the gamification of spending. So there's two levels that that they encourage behavior that is not conducive to your long term financial health. And it's also another data source that they use because they can sell that data and make money from it. So the more active you are with the card, the more data they have to sell. Therefore, their business model gets better, which isn't obvious on the face of the credit card relationship you think you have. Yeah. You know, 
the funny thing was when you when you screw it up, you feel bad about yourself. It's like, oh, I'm an idiot. I didn't pay off my credit card. I can't believe I let myself get here. You don't, you know, most people won't blame the credit card company that they spent too much money. Like they eventually will get pissed at them down the road. Initially, it's like, oh, I'm such a bad person. So, you know, you've been in, in, incentivized to do something that wasn't in your best interest. And then a lot of people will blame themselves as to you know, how they got there. Yeah. For the record, again, if you use a credit card to make purchases that you normally make and you collect the points and you use the points for good things and you pay off your credit card balance every month, then you're doing just fine. There's nothing wrong and, with that. And you don't change your habits based on points. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't fall prey to the very specific marketing you're going to receive because of all the data they have on you. Now, Josh, you're one of the smartest people I know. I always I always describe you as that way and more disciplined than RoboCop. But I, I think if we went digging deep enough, there may be one or two fringe decisions that were made that maybe were not entirely based just on the financial aspect of things. I'm sure you could find those. <laughs> I'm not infallible for sure. Um, I would say for me personally, I would say strongly that the benefits that I've got from a credit card outweigh the potential fringe purchase that I made on a whim that, that I thought of, but that's, you know, that, that's just me. Everybody's a little bit different. Right. And as you know, but but I think the proof is in the pudding and this is a very, uh, very big business model that's proliferated everywhere and the only reason that things from a business model perspective are used as widely is that they're profitable for the firm that's proffering the yes. this, this particular way of doing things right so kind of the proof is in the pudding why does everybody do it it's not in your best interest it's in their best interest yeah well and that's i started i went down this path you're often thinking about what's the business model what's the business model how are they making money off of me and i went down this path of a lot of things that we're talking about here and with credit cards it's not hard to figure out what the business model is like okay i'm getting points i'm getting free stuff by spending money hmm maybe that's not not as good as it seems on its surface obviously somewhere down the road even if i'm not somebody's paying for that on average somebody's paying for for that benefit that I'm collecting. So it's one of those things where if uh if you're at the poker table and you haven't figured out who the what's the, who the, the fool name, is. The, who, who the fool is or the fish is within the first hour, it's you, right? Yep. So that's the same situation here. And then think of what the behavior is of the financial institutions. Have you ever got a call from your financial institution offering you a higher credit limit on a whim? You haven't asked for one. They just called up and said, "Hey, I've noticed you've been spending a little bit of money. Do you want an extra $5,000 added to your credit limit? It's like, oh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Why do you think they do yeah. that? You're they a want- nice guy. You're looking <laughs> out for me. I appreciate you. <laughs> Here's an extra $5,000. So that perceived higher credit limit makes you think that you have more money to spend. And I guess technically you do in the short term, but that is going to come back to bite you in the ass if you do maximize uh, everything that they're giving you. Well, you you know when the drug dealers steal your business model, that you're 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 probably at the edge. I mean, that's the other place you can get you know free stuff or get an increased limit easily early on. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot of similarities there when you dig dig into it. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna leave that one. <laughs> <laughs> Based on stories, do I have to put a disclaimer in everything? Yes, no, I've do. never done drugs. There you go. <laughs> I've never done drugs. I did coach high school basketball for a lot of years, so I know people. 
Okay. So I'm going to call it a cousin of the credit card. Buy now, pay later. That's proliferating right now and become, I'd say, I don't know, just as insidious, maybe even more so as credit cards. I think this is the realm of people who can't get a credit card. Like if you can't get a credit card and you can't, you know, use that system to buy now and pay later, don't worry about it. We got you. We're go- we're going to do that right here. And it used to be, and if maybe your information, you I think would have more up to date information. It used to be actually even more expensive when you worked out the math on than a credit card, because it was for people who couldn't get credit cards, therefore deemed to be a higher risk. Therefore. Uh, you know, the various layaway plans and whatnot, when you annualized the fees they were charging you, they were astronomical and in violation of loan sharking rules in many provinces. Yeah. I, so I've seen some of the more new age ones recently, and I've done some of the math myself on on some of them. Um, there's one uh, that Air Canada promotes when you're buying a ticket, which we buy tickets from Air Canada all the time based on our travel schedules. But that one, I did the math and I was like, this is terrible for you. It's worse than a credit card. Uh, but I've also seen some or heard of some that are supposedly interest-free. I'm not really sure how they uh, make that work, but and I haven't I haven't seen those firsthand. I've just heard that some of them are. Have you seen those? Like you just well, you just built a bridge right into the car industry, yeah, you because know, the yeah. car industry is famous for that interest-free financing. Okay, well, if I want to pay cash, what's my discount? Oh, there's another price, you know. Yeah. So yeah, again, even when. There's always follow-up questions. When you throw something, I to be honest, I haven't seen that, Josh. My follow-up question is, what's the price I'm paying? Yeah. Because typically, if you're getting industry financing, you're not paying the lowest possible price. And I have heard that. I have heard, yes, it's interest-free, but then you pay an extra, whatever, 20% more on on the purchase price. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't really Only the highest margin stuff is eligible under that program. Like, you can't buy the real cheap stuff. Like, you know, it doesn't apply to sale items, doesn't apply to discounts. You don't get your normal 10% off and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, whatever it is. So I, I went searching for some of the terms around this buy now, pay later stuff. And I, just using Google, I didn't use chat GPT for this one. I used, I was going old fashioned. I just used Google. I kicked it old school. Uh, yeah, I kicked it old school. And uh, the first, one of the first one anyway, that came up was Stripe, which is a fairly prominent payment processor. So I have some claims from Stripe that supposedly help business, businesses and consumers. And I'm going to read you a couple of these and you can respond to them in real time. So buy now, pay later removes a huge cost barrier for customers by letting them pay in installments over time. This allows customers the opportunity to purchase higher value goods, such as furniture or luxury items. Buy now, pay later methods also help increase the average cart size by allowing customers to buy more lower value goods. This results in higher average order values and increased conversion. I'm, I'm sorry, I stopped listening after you said it removed the cost barrier. (laughs) <laughs> I thought all the rest of it was just gibberish. But the cost is supposed to be a barrier. Like if, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. But it, it's funny because I think that's the most instructive line of, of everything you just said. The whole industry like, okay, we have to get rid of this cost problem. Like we have to, we have to give people an opportunity not to, to be able to buy whatever they want because they deserve the lifestyle that they want to achieve. Like, you know, I, I was listening to the radio ads out West one time and a local financial institution was, you know, 
uh, I forget how exactly it was some egregious way they worded it, but basically just because you think you can't afford it doesn't mean you can't afford to come talk to us. It's like, well, maybe you just can't afford it. Like, like that's not, that's maybe it's okay not to afford it. But you know, but this is, well, this goes back to preying on a weakness. I'm sitting there going, yeah. oh, it's, you know, the, the world's against me. I can't afford this. Oh, wait, these guys are telling me I can't afford this. Hey, I like these guys. What, whatever you guys want me to do, I'll do. And then you get ensnared in the program. And yeah. Are you going to get to payday loans? Is that, is that where you're going from this? Cause well, that, that one I didn't even touch because it, to me is just so it's like, that's a criminal organization, basically some of those paid payday loan places. But I was just, I was hung up on this buy now, pay later stuff. So RBC capital markets, actually they went through and did the research on it uh, as they do. And so they estimated that it increases. So just to continue on this, people buying more shit uh, idea increases retail conversion rates by 20 to 30% and average ticket size between 30 to 50%. So what does that mean? You're buying 30 to 50% more shit. People already buy too much shit that they don't need. I don't see how this is a positive thing. All I heard there was benefits to the business and no benefits to the customer. Well, I actually haven't seen this stat recently, but for a while there in the U.S., the, the self-storage business was one of the fastest growing businesses in the U.S. because people didn't have room to store their shit. They had to, they had to go out and rent places to store, store shit. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, like I, I don't know. I haven't seen any recent numbers on that, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me. But that's, well, that's just absolutely it. I mean, this whole thing is judged a success based on its ability to get people to buy more. You know, the, there, there's nowhere in that equation is it serves the client better. Like nowhere in that conversation was there one guy in the room going, what's the right thing to do for our clients? Like that, that guy isn't in the room. Hold on. You, you, the... you haven't heard this, this, this claim yet. Oh, okay. Buy now, pay later makes it easier for customers to strategically time their purchases around promotions, even if they aren't able to pay for the entire purchase up front. Yeah, yeah, they will. Come on, really? <laughs> that is, no, you, word this for is word, a Saturday Night skit. Is this a Saturday Night Live skit that you printed off and are trying to feed me? Am I being punked? <laughs> strategically plan the purchases of something I don't need. You know, you don't need to strategically plan the purchases of something you don't. It's not like they're selling me a cheap bag of potatoes. No, I don't buy it. I don't, but th those are the kinds of things. And you know what? There's going to be a bunch of people go, oh, that's, that's good. But the, the people looking for the, the immediate gratification will accept any kind of, of, of description that's put before them as okay. That's sort of like people being convinced that, you know, you should cash out your RSP because you're just going to pay tax on it later. Well, I guess I should cash out my RSP because I might have to pay tax on it later. You were looking for a reason to do it like you wanted someone to tell you to make you feel good about spending it right now you know that that's the same kind of mentality because there are people out there who are saving against their will who are financially responsible against their will for some form of pressure then if they can come up to a smart looking thing that makes it sound like it's okay to overspend well thank god you're here like yes let's go you know because again that's that immediate gratification that you know that keeping up with the Joneses and wanting the latest thing, that's a powerful, powerful motivator. Buy now, pay later. Like, for people for people who can't afford, I mean, th their honest tagline should be for people who can't get credit cards. We have buy now, pay later. 
<laughs> Only a slightly higher interest rate. <laughs> Only slightly worse for you. Oh, right. now, now see, this is the the risk. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start getting too wound up. Let me go back to the list of things you can do to protect yourself. How about this, Josh? Be mindful of emotional manipulation. Companies often use emotional appeals in marketing to influence consumer behavior. Take a step back and evaluate the rational aspects of your decision-making rather than solely relying on emotions. See, that's all you have to do. Yeah. This sounds like the one of the first concepts I was taught in economics about the rational economic actor. Oh, here we go. The rational man theory. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, if you had no emotions and you're never you know, influenced by any outside, outside force ever in your life, you could make perfect rational decisions when it comes to your money. Okay, go find me the person that can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well their, their retort is always, well, in aggregate, people behave rationally, which again, I call BS on because we've got the aggregation data from the stock market trading on a minute by minute basis. And I'm sorry, that does not reveal anything close to a, a netting out to rational behavior. Yeah. Well, and re aggregate rational behavior in this situation doesn't exist because no. it's marketed at you and you need to be the one that has no emotions and rational thought with all this stuff. And again, that doesn't exist. And it, it's, it's so funny when you see them actually present this to them. So Daniel Kahneman is one of the you know preeminent names in behavioral economics, writes about this stuff a lot. And there was an interview where Kahneman was asked one time, he's been, basically been studying this for decades of his life. And again, he won a Nobel Prize for it. So he's done something right along the way. And somebody asked him, knowing everything that you do about behavioral economics, can you now identify your blind spots and make better decisions because of it? And he said, no, I don't think so. So here's maybe the most educated person on the entire planet or pretty close on this stuff. And he's saying that even though I know all this stuff, I still have the same biases and issues and emotional reactions to money that all of us do. So great, yeah. you, you chat GPT, thank you very much. Now show me how to do it. Maybe that'll be chat GPT five or whatever it's called. Ooh, it's gonna keep going. This is gonna be great. Well, so, so one of the things that that feeds into this whole emotional aspect of things that I think is is just smart people looking to prey on us is with the media as well. Mm -hmm. And we bash the media a lot. So <laughs> and being, I guess, a form of media ourselves, maybe we shouldn't. But the primary goal of most media outlets, unfortunately, is not to inform and educate. It's not it's, even the secondary. So where is it in the list? <laughs> Not even sure it's on the list. Okay, okay. So what is the goal then? Well, to get eyeballs by entertaining us in such a way that we will watch, right? Yeah. Well, Josh, maybe this is the point for me to introduce my little story because, you know, Catherine had given us that information on Finfluencers and TikTok and sure. how the best way to get an audience, right? And basically the conclusion of the study was that the more outrageous your claim, the more likely you are to gain a following. You know, so you had to be counterculture. You had to be saying something, you know, pretty out there in order to gain a following. And these people were being the most successful. Therefore, we're getting paid the best and getting more viewers, which is disseminating. If you take it as information and not entertainment, it's disseminating bad information. I found myself shortly after that conversation with Catherine just scrolling my newsfeed. And there was an article on, you know, 
impending deflation. I said, what? Click. Shit. They got me. All right. So I go on and it was a nonsense article. Like, you know, and I had enough critical thinking I could read through. It's like, but hey, in my world, that's what's going to get me. Like, I'm going to be scrolling through my newsfeed in a time when we're always discussing inflation. The one person that's going to go out there and write about deflation and, you know, tangentially trying to make it any kind of make sense. Yeah. He's going to get an audience and he was going to get an audience. Like, cause I, I scrolled past 15 other articles on inflation. I said, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever, whatever. And that was the one I clicked on. That was the one that got my attention. So it's, it kind of, you know, I, I'm part of the herd as much as I try to set myself away from like we, all of us are going to be influenced by these things. Now, I think the, the challenge is if you're aware, I noticed like when I did, as soon as I did it, I noticed, I said, oh, okay, I get this. I get the pattern I'm on here. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get the game I'm playing. I'm still playing it, but I understand it. Maybe I'm less likely to get, I'm not going to come to our next PM meeting pitching the, the dangers of deflation, you know, this, this quarter, Josh. So, I mean, I, they didn't take me in. Yeah. That was like a rage click though, almost call. I don't know, like, have you ever been scrolling through and you see something and you're like, what? They're, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you click on it and you're like, oh, that's not even close to what the headline suggested. Or it isn't close to it. And then it's, it is the stupidest thing you've ever heard. So yeah. It, um, evoking emotion again is is a lot of what's what's uh, going on here. The idea of being controversial or um, con- bringing conflict to the forefront that that's what a lot of this stuff focuses on, and it's it's less of the things that are helping us make good decisions. Well, for the record, I'm less into rage clicking now. Uh, I do maybe I do that's recognize- just me. Well, no, I recognize the emotion and I once had the vim and vigor of a younger man and I was young bull. So yes, I rage clicked a lot. Uh, as I get older, it was, I, I've only got so many hills that I can die on. So I, I'm a little less ragey. I, I can get there. I don't, I have that gear when I need it, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's one way to get a response from people. You know, fear and greed, fear of missing out. You know, these are all ways that you can get people's attention. I mean, back in my insurance trading days, it's like, you know, do you love your family? You know? what (laughs) you should have more insurance if you love your family i mean there's there's all kinds of emotional ways that that marketers will will tap into and sometimes you notice it and sometimes you don't yeah so when you're reading through like a news site for example generally you'd hope that it's a little bit more informative and educational what percentage like if you had to ballpark what percentage what do you think is is that percentage for articles that are actually useful in helping you make decisions from an investment perspective? Let's go to our profession here. Well, if I'm generally just scrolling around, it's probably like two or three percent would yeah. introduce something that is timely and interesting. But if I focus on going to the sites that I know that have information I'm looking for, you know, that might get as high as ten or fifteen percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. as actually providing information that's worth making decisions on. But the other thing is, you know, if you're going to talk about our world is like, you know, I made fun of it in a LinkedIn profile or post here recently about, you know, the five key things investors need to know today. Nothing like there's no, there's no, there's nothing that you need to know today. Like if you're approaching your finance every morning, you got to wake up and read this list and make decisions on this list. You're playing soccer the wrong way. Like that, that, that that's not how the game gets played, you know? So that's also a true thing. Yeah. So speaking of pieces of information and how useful or useless they are for decision making with this whole Titanic sub story that 
<laughs> was out there last week. Now you weren't at our investment call last week, so I'll, I'll say this to you because you haven't heard it before. But when you're reading through in the first couple days of the story, which is all over the media, one of the first things that that came up early on was we've detected some noises. It's like, okay, what do I do with that? You've detected noises in four thousand meter depth ocean, like ten thousand thousands of square kilometers. Oh. Like, what am I going to do with that? And that's what I feel like a lot of this information is. It's like, you know, for example, I, I pulled this one on Friday. Friday. Friday's analyst upgrades and downgrades. What do I do with that? What does that tell me about anything practical that is actually going to be useful for me in the future? And I'll give you a hint. It's like pretty much nothing, just like the noises that they supposedly picked up on some sonograph somewhere is like totally friggin' useless for you. Oh, no. So you're going to make me tell the Anchorman 2 story again. Because again, it's it's what'll catch people's eyes. There's a scene in Anchorman too where they you know, they got nothing to go on air with. He goes, "Give me that. What is it? It's a car chase. What's going on in the car chase? I don't know. Make something up." So he starts concocting this whole story about the man driving the car is very tall, perhaps six foot ten. You know, just randomly going on, but it's this compelling story that makes people want to watch it, and that's that is what those things are. So look, again, if you can keep it in a spot as entertainment, you know, you can you gather information from time to time? Yes, you can. You know, there, you can just, if you're critically thinking and, and, and absorbing information, you can become a little bit better informed, but, but it's, it's definitely an uphill struggle. Those endless reports, Josh, are interesting because that, that builds a, a, a bridge into something I was going to bring up about gamification. Because I was at the uh, PMAC conference there a couple of weeks back, Portfolio Managers Association of Canada, and they had uh, somebody from the OSC on presenting uh, because the OSC has, believe it or not, gone out and studied the effects of gamification on trading. You know, so you have like Robin and all these, you know, different places and well, simple. So you sign on, it's, you know, the top 10 most traded stocks and like there's all these different things. Now, let's just stipulate this, that when it's the business model of businesses who are making money off of this, I'm pretty sure it's assenting behavior that's not in the client's best interest, it's in the company's best interest. I could probably draw that conclusion without a study. But being the OSC, they actually went in and studied the effect of very, very simple gamification methods. For example, producing a list of the top 10 traded companies. Automatically, the trading in those jumped a very material amount, even with no information. Like this was, the, this was com complete, all made up data with no information whatsoever, just by the fact that they had a top 10 list on the screen, incented people to partake in those companies because they were the most traded companies. Not specific to buying or selling, it was just a top 10 list. It actually moved the needle in a material way. Hmm. The other one was they assigned basically garbage points that you could redeem for free balloons and stuff. And it increased trading activity. Like it was, it, they were at, it, there was no monetary value but there was just like a badge and honor system and it's sort of like when i play call of duty and i'm trying to unlock another gun like they gave me something to chase and call of duty fair ball like i'm not putting any more money in the game it's it's entertaining if it's in my trading account and i'm trading something because i want to unlock another avatar so that i can walk around trading looking at something different that you're incenting they're incenting you to do stuff that's probably not in your best interest well, I'm glad you segued into the investment industry because there's probably dozens and dozens and dozens of examples from the investment industry. We covered some of the finance stuff, but the investment industry is particularly predatory with some of this stuff. 
And I just started thinking about all the investment products that get pitched out there. Like how, how, so now what's the, the hot investment product of the day? Probably AI stuff. Yep. Probably AI stuff, right? There's AI ETFs. So you can buy all kinds of stuff. Um, investing in all kinds of esoteric areas of the AI uh, business. Year and a half, two years ago, we had crypto. A couple of years before that, we had marijuana. A couple of years before that, we had something else. We've had ARC. We got, we got all kinds of stuff. So if you want it, they will build it. And you probably shouldn't want it. And they probably shouldn't build it, but you're going to buy it. So they're going to build it anyway. Well, you've been in the meetings, Josh, where they talk about how successful a product has been. And there's only one way they're measuring success. Yeah. How many assets did it gather? That, that's all. I mean, my, one of my favorite absurd examples was when they, they had the, and this is right up your alley, when they had, uh, I don't know, it was an ETF product or what it was, but it was trading based on the VIX. Mm -hmm. So they tried to turn the VIX into an investable thing. And it's a pretty abstract measurement of, Oh, you know better than I, Josh. On its face, does it make sense that one could invest in the VIX, or how would you back it up? Yeah, see, Josh's eyes are going from the right to the left to the right to the left. <laughs> he's, he's he's trying to get from what that actually is to how you would invest in it. So your average human being, I don't think, should even ever think about investing in the VIX. Is there somebody somewhere that should invest? It, it would probably be an institution on somewhere institutional investor, perhaps hedging some of their exposure. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But if you are sitting there at home on your Questrade account and buying ETFs, you should not be investing in the VIX. I feel pretty strongly about it. And, and that came out of the, you know, at the time when volatility was was hot topic and everybody was talking about this and it was moving. It was going one direction and the other. Ooh, it's moving. It's going one direction. I want to bet on this was the reaction. And it's like, you want to bet on this? Have I got a deal for you? And here comes the product. Yeah. Well, there is, I think it was the short VIX ETFs that blew up. That was uh, in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And people were, <laughs> people look at it. It's a straight, this is what it was. It was a straight line up. Pretty much, pretty much a straight line up. Like it did incredibly well for a few years there. And then volatility spiked and it went to zero. Like, basically overnight. <laughs> so it's like, it's, <laughs> you know, that's why people and people didn't understand what they were investing in. They didn't understand the risks of some of the stuff that it takes one COVID to basically wipe out all of your earnings throughout your entire life yeah, on the, the, in the, that the, type of product. And that's the sad part. I mean, people, people know enough to, to, to get in and get involved, but they don't know enough to be there. You know, if you don't understand backwardation and contango to get into these products that are based on, you know, any kind of options or future strategy. I mean, again, going short something, going, you know, that, that's got a time horizon to it. Like, it's not just going short. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make money if the market goes down. Like, no, not quite. Like, that's, that's, that's not, no, just, no, just stop playing. But, you know, people will do it. Therefore, there, there's no barrier to, to letting people do it. It's like we disclaimed, we told them that it might go to zero. The, the Apple Care Agreement probably told me that my phone could actually cause brain cancer. I don't know. But you know, there's there's so many things that you know it's beyond everybody's ability to read and and comprehend. Yeah, yeah. Well, like a hundred pages legal agreements for everything that you do now is definitely not helping things for sure. But 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it comes back to the idea, like if, if you dream up with a concept, a company's going to build it and the business model for them is they might attract assets, they might not. If they do attract assets, that's awesome for them. If they don't attract assets, it's a little bit of a sunk cost and they move on to the next thing. If they do attract assets and it blows up longer term, they still might not care because well, they attracted assets until it went to the blow up stage, they got paid. And when it blows up, they maybe take a little bit of negative uh, brand yeah, but but, value but the from that. Or... But the people working for the company may have moved on to the next company. Right? Yeah, because again, they're they're not going to be there long term to be accountable for it. So you're not dealing with a human who made you a promise and it mm -hmm. lets you down and deals with the emotion of that. I worked there for six months, man. I was really successful on the phone, but then they, they fired me. And I got a better job and I went somewhere else. You know that that's that kind of climate that you're playing in. But one of the one of the books I think I'll throw out a book here to people, and it, it's, well, it's it's probably less interesting than it used to. Be, but Dan Ariely had a book out, uh, predictably irrational. And it basically went down and uh, talked about you know how predictably irrational we are, and it's when we get predictably irrational that's when you're most prone to to being taken advantage of. Now he he had some problems later on with some of his research and stuff, but I that, I don't think it impinges the the value of that book because he really does approach it from a very uh, very common sense approach as to why we decide what we're going to do, uh, what how we make our decisions. And then there's something called decision architecture. Uh, if, depending on how, you know, again, dealing with a cancer patient, it's 50% chance of survival, 50% chance of dying. Those are dramatically different answers, right? And if you're smart enough, you know what the one is more likely, but in the moment, you're, you know, you're gonna be you. Um, so decision architecture is a big thing. And if the, you're playing the game with an institution that is driven by their shareholder, and by somebody who's been in the job for six months and only plans to be there another 12, then, you know, you really have to keep your card up. Uh, for me, my biggest defense is what's your business model? As soon as I, I, it's maybe to an extreme. Anytime I'm having a conversation with anybody, it's like, what's your business model? Like, how are you making money off this conversation? And not to say that's going to cause me to dismiss anything that they say. But I think it's going to put it in context way better, if I understand that piece, than just sitting there going, oh, this just seems to be a nice person, because uh, that, that's going to get me in trouble. So you mentioned business model, and you mentioned before, I don't know if I should make this comparison, but drug dealers. and <laughs> they're, they're business people. <laughs> well, but no, I'm, I'm taking it one step further. I'm, I'm stepping outside of my, my finance shoes for the moment. And talking about the diet industry, health, food, whatever it is. It, this is really one of those times where it seems like it's smart people's uh, objective to get you hooked on stuff that is not good for you and is going to be detrimental to you in the long term. And when I started doing a bit of research on this, I heard about these things called bliss points. You ever heard of this? I'm afraid. All right. <laughs> But keep talking, John. Bliss point. The precise combination of sugar, salt, and fat in a food product that maximizes its sensory appeal. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. And yeah. these are the, the some some genius out there came up with this. And this is not only being used to construct the food that we're eating, but also to market the food that we're eating. That's terrifying. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. So listen, I, I could wipe out a few trillion dollars worth of GDP in all the industrialized world 
with three simple statements. I can wipe out the financial industry with a simple statement. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. If people bought into that, then we've just wiped out a good chunk of the financial industry. You know, the diet industry, yeah, eat less, move more. Yeah, that's going to accomplish 90% of your goals. That's all you need to do. And the fitness industry, yeah, just move more. I, if you, if you just, you can boil all three of those industries down to those three simple statements and it would accomplish 90% of what could be accomplishable for the vast majority of the population. How many trillions of dollars we spend trying to get skinny the right way or thin the right way or get buff the right way or try to get rich the right way? How much money we spend chasing those phantoms is absolutely ridiculous and is largely, I would say, almost completely driven by exactly what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's driven by, you know, us being willing to be willing suspension of disbelief. It's almost like we're watching Star Wars for the first time. It's like, you know, well, I just need to suspend my disbelief and I can enjoy this movie. Well, if I suspend my disbelief, I can enjoy this investment product. Anything else on your list? I just, I think that should just be the quote they put at the start of the podcast. Nobody even has to listen to it. (laughs) Stop listening now. Have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Cheers, Collins. If you're breaking a sweat trying to figure out what your financial advisor is talking about, you're not getting the service you need. You probably hate trying to get an answer from them, but you also think moving your accounts will be a headache, and it might be. But working with DontRockTheBoatWealthPlanning.com or .ru isn't exactly stress-free, is it? Call us. We will demystify the world for you. Vericon Capital Management Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in all. Vericon Capital Management Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in all of Canada except Manitoba. So sorry, Manitoba. Nothing in this podcast should be considered as a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell a particular security. Statements made by the portfolio managers are intended to illustrate their approach and are meant for information and entertainment purposes only. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of iPrivateWealth Inc. iPrivateWealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivateWealth is a trademark and business name under which iPrivateWealth Inc. operates. This should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.